I don't care if you want to sell a billion dollars of the products or if you just want to, to you know, support a lifestyle business that allow you to go surfing on the weekends. Whatever your definition of success, it starts with one sale, one customer. Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn what are Kaizen principles and how you can apply it to improving your business, how to respond when your target customer says your product is too expensive, and their system for cranking out great content that improves their SEO. Today, I'm joined by Trevor Kratz from Buddy Rest. Buddy Rest sells the best dog beds in the world for better sleep and better adventures and was started in 2011 and based at Wichita, Kansas. Welcome, Trevor. Thanks for having me. Yes, tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came about this this business idea to start a business like this. Uh, yeah, so I've been an entrepreneur uh, since a young age. You know, I start off with the whole lawn mowing thing that everybody uh, talks about. But um, we got into a uh, eBay business uh, in the mid two thousands and uh, really uh, kind of cut my teeth on learning how to sell online, uh, primarily through eBay, and then. Uh, I went through a bunch of different uh, companies and different organizations, and my background was really as a corporate trainer. So I learned pretty quickly what really filled my cup was not just selling products, but teaching people how to sell products. And um, I was actually working in the mattress industry for uh, one of the major mattress companies, and I was uh, selling and teaching people how to sell these products. And, uh, you know, I, I have a big dog, and I was a I've always been a big dog person. I've had a dog since I was a kid. And uh, being a single guy with his big dog, he's my best friend. Uh, his name was Buddy. Uh, it was, his name is Buddy. And uh, he's still around. But uh, we saw that, uh, and I say we, me and a friend of mine uh, named Jordan, who was working in the mattress industry with me, saw an opportunity because when it came time for me to look for a product for uh, something that was going to be supportive for Buddy, because I knew firsthand how important sleep was and how it had made a big difference in uh, customers and, and really had uh, improved the quality of life, I realized there was nothing out there for dogs. Uh, there was some orthopedic dog beds out there and memory foam dog beds, but none of them were really memory foam. None of them were truly orthopedic. They all were basically like the same foam that you find in a shipping uh, situation is that that uh, crappy egg crate foam that no one wants to lay on and it's not the same stuff you find in a mattress and so uh, I saw an opportunity to do something because when I was doing this research uh, we really found out that uh, big dogs uh, oftentimes they live about three or four years less uh, they have a much shorter lifespan than their smaller counterparts and the reason is is because of painful joint problems uh, big dogs suffer from painful joint problems. It's the number one reason why they're euthanized as they get old. They just the quality of life goes down the hill. So knowing all this and knowing about my expertise in the mattress industry, uh, I saw that opportunity to create a business and do something for my dog buddy as well as the millions of dogs out there uh, in a proactive way and give them the best type of support and the best comfort they can have. And that's where we started Buddy Rest in 2011. Um, now, with that, we decided to not just create the best supportive bed based on scientific principles. I mean, we do use tactile pressure mapping. Uh, we used all the same technologies and the same uh, materials that were in the human mattress uh, industry. Uh, but we also sought to create the best bed in every single way. So a more durable bed that was going to last longer, that was going to need to be washed less, uh, and a bed that... Uh, that was made in the USA that people could get behind. So that's what we've endeavored to do, and that's where we really got our start. Got it. So lots of these features that, that you're talking about, you want it to last longer, be more durable, have to, it doesn't have to be washed as frequently. Did you have all of these features right from the start, or there were these iterations on the original products? Um, well, the product that we have on the market today is obviously uh, has a lot of iterations. Um, but originally what we started with is we were really looking for uh, how can we reinvent what dog beds actually are? And like I said, at the time, there was really nothing out there that was supportive or durable. You know, when people thought of a dog bed, it's generally thought of as a, uh, you know, something made overseas that's cheap. It gets smelly and dirty. You wash it once or twice, you throw it away. It's a disposable mentality. And we were looking for something that was going to be a little bit more durable, last a little bit longer than that. Uh, and really provide the the value that we knew could be provided out there. So 
Um, we sought out the different types of materials right out the beginning. What was the best materials we could find? You know, give you an example. Um, you know, most people use a commercial nylon when they sew their products together on on almost any um, commercial sewing business. We found uh, Kevlar thread, which was a lot more expensive to use than commercial nylon, but it was actually five times stronger at the seam than any other dog bed out there. And we knew that that was going to really contribute to the long-term durability. And we also knew that producing a high quality American made mattress was going to la it was going to be more expensive. Right. And so uh, we needed to make sure that the value was there from a customer standpoint. And so instead of just being more supportive and more comfortable and also being you know, a proactive measure to help uh, guard against long-term uh, joint problems, it needed to be more than that. It needed to be something that uh, was durable and something that, you know, people could justify spending that more money on. And so uh, initially we sought out all the best materials we could find and we really built the product from a, a standpoint of uh, meeting those value propositions. And then we kind of reverse engineered it as far as how can we find the right materials to fill those needs. I think oftentimes when it comes to product development and people are developing products, um, they make the product and then they try to figure out, okay, now how can I go sell this? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that strategy, but that's not the strategy we take. We look for product market fit. How can we uh, sell a product? And then how can we make a product to really fit those needs and really solve those problems? And I think that's the number one thing to understand, starting with our dog beds, but uh, permeating throughout everything in our organization today is everything is solution-based. How can we solve a problem? Um, we're not the we're not the best at making the uh, you know the uh, the cool funny bow ties that go on the on the dog's collar or the the fluffy stylish dog bed with the latest trends. We're we're in the solution business. We solve problems for pets and pets pe pet people, and we enrich the bond between pets and their and their owners. Uh, and that's really what our focus is, especially when it comes to product development. Yeah, I think this is important, which is that you start with the promise almost first, and then think about the ideal product that you want to create and then go back and figure out how to fulfill on that promise, how to create that product that fulfills on that promise. But how do you know what that promise should be? Like, What is the product? How do you figure out what is the product market fit to begin with? You know, to be fair, uh, you, you can do a lot of different product research. You can see what the competition looks out there and you can fill out a million competitive matrices and figure out kind of where you fit in there. But at the end of the day, you just have to put the product out there and see what the market says and then adjust from there. I think that's actually uh, one of our massive uh, advantages, especially for for up and coming, you know, young Shopify entrepreneurs you know, your, your big advantage in this business is that you're not a big, slow corporation. You know, if you have a product or a product idea, you know, you can bring it to market pretty quick and get an answer. You can uh, find out if it's going to be a winner or not. And uh, you don't have to buy a container load of products. Oftentimes, you don't have to wait six months to a year. You don't have to be stuck with a lot of inventory. So, I mean, that, the key is, is to be lean and be fast and be agile and be ready to reiterate on the product. Um, you know, for us, we look at that as one of our big strategic advantages versus uh, a lot of our competition is that we are quick. You know, we can come up with a product to market. We have an in-house photography studio in our facility here. We can have that product listed on one of our web properties by the end of the day. And, you know, we'll know whether it's a hit or not by the market will tell us whether people want to buy it or not. And maybe we need to make some adjustments along the way. You know, we believe in, in Kaizen principles and continuous improvement and making sure that the, the product can always improve and we can always improve upon how we sell it. But really, uh, the secret to success, I think, is just taking those shots. You know, you have to take as many shots as you can. You know, we aim for the fences all the time. And to be fair, we we fail a lot. Um, you know, it's the key is, is that we continue to swing the bat. We continue to try to to, to hit the, you know, hit that home run. Uh, but to, to continue on that uh, analogy, you know, we hit a lot of singles and doubles and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes you don't have a, a hero product that blows everybody's socks off, but there's still, there's still a place for it. Um, and maybe it's just one you know iteration away from being that hero product. Maybe it never will be. Uh, for us though, I think the biggest, the biggest key is just to keep taking those, keep taking those swings and, uh, you know, hopefully eventually you get a couple over that fence. 
Mm, yeah, so you're basically talking about like taking real shots, not theoretical shots, by just doing research or pontificating on what, you know, whether this idea will work or not. And you say to put the product out to the market and then adjust from there. Like that's the approach that you like to take. So when for, for buddy rest, how small or big of a bet did you place early on? How much time did you put into it? How much investment? Like how many products are you actually shipping with at first, trying to sell? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, along those same lines, you know, obviously you have to, you know, you have to take a, that initial shot. That first step is probably the scariest out of all of them. Um, and for us, you know, uh, we started off with one product, you know, one dog bed, and uh, we took it to a local show. And, uh, you know, to be honest, it was a mess. I mean, we had a we had a banner with a website behind us. The website wasn't working. I was upset because I was on the phone with these developers I'd hired that were freelancers, and you know I told them this is our big day, and you know it was it was just a mess. But what we did get is uh, even though we didn't have any, even another product to sell people, but we got some validation from the customers and at least a little bit of confidence that hey people are interested in this and we have something here. And so we went from there. We built a couple products. We got that website finally built out. Um, and, uh, about a month later we got one sale. Um, and, uh, her name was Ann Grossman. I remember, uh, I remember it very clearly because uh, Ann Grossman was our first customer and she also was our like fourth and fifth customer. She came back and bought another bed and another bed. And those first couple of weeks, by the way, shout out to Ann Grossman, wherever you are. Uh, appreciate you. I don't know what you are, who, what you're doing or who you are, but thank you. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact is, is we found that one customer and then we found another customer and then another customer. I think people these days, especially with the, uh, you know, how glamorized the uh, the Hollywood approach to entrepreneurship is, you know, they think that I've got to go and, and get this product and go raise a ton of money and uh, put the product out there and, and, and you know, really uh, make sure it's a refined, high quality product versus looking for, you know, putting something that's minimal viable out there and, and actually testing the market out and seeing if it's going to work. Uh, really, sometimes the best way to do it is just to go try to find a customer and then try to find a second customer then a third and, and build from there. And that will give you the confidence and the validation to, to pour more time and money into it. And I think that's what, what really happened for us. Mm. So you recommend almost like a, a at first to just try to get customers one by one rather than trying to think too much about how do I scale this up? I mean, it's a it's a measured approach, but the fact is, you got to find one customer to start. I mean, everybody does. I don't care if you want to sell a billion dollars of the products, or if you just want to to you know support a lifestyle business that allow you to go surfing on the weekends. Whatever your definition of success, it starts with one sale, one customer. So uh, everybody starts at that same place. Um, obviously, we all want to focus on these big scalable products, these big scalable businesses, because that's really what moves the needle, and and that is where the uh, you know, that is where the excitement really is. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to find that first customer, uh, build that first product out, get some validation, prove out that product market fit before you start to pour some gasoline on that fire. Got it. Okay. So you mentioned that you first tried to sell this at the trade shows, try to sell in person, and you got some feedback out of that. Do you remember some of the changes that you made to the product or to the business or the, to the marketing based off of the initial feedback? Um, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, one of the first things we heard is that uh, our products were so expensive. Right. And to be fair, you know, we weren't in the business of making the cheapest product out there. You know, we thought, OK, well, if we're going to make the Rolls Royce of dog beds, Rolls Royce probably doesn't apologize for their price. You know, uh, maybe it's just not for everybody. But we really thought that um, if you if you have the features and benefits that really make sense and you can explain it and articulate it in a way where people can understand it's an investment in the health of their animal and it's a long-term investment in the health of their animal that, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to sell. Um, and what we found out was, is that, you know, even though everybody told us that no one's, no one's going to spend money on a dog bed like this, uh, well, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people told us that. But nowadays people are spending, you know, 70, 80, $90 on a bag of dog food. Nowadays, some people are even cooking their dogs, their own meal every night. Nowadays, sometimes people are even have those raw diets that are really popular. And I'm not here to judge uh, to judge pet people because uh, us pet people, there's there's all sorts of levels of, of crazy pet people on the spectrum. Um, and I probably fall somewhere in the middle. But um, for if you look at what the market says is that things change and, you know, and sometimes you 
can put a product out there and, um, and, uh, make small changes or sometimes you can put a radical product out there and sometimes you need to listen to the customer base and the people around you and sometimes you need to forge ahead and see if you can validate it on your own without them and i think that's kind of what we did is we we got a lot of feedback initially as far as price point goes and uh quality and we did definitely take that in, input into consideration but at the end of the day uh we put it out there to a wider audience and really look to validate it ourselves Mm. So when you do have a product that is more of like an investment, higher price product compared to what's out in the market, what do you have to do to what do you what should be fo- what should you be focusing on when it comes to your marketing to essentially show to the customer that it is worth the investment? Sure, I I love that question because I think that is uh, so important to what we do here. Uh, but educating the customer, you know, you got to educate the customer, especially if you're in a new market or you have a new product, you know. It doesn't matter how great the product is, is if you can't articulate what the value is to the customer, and more specifically, not what the value is, but what the benefit is in a personal way to that customer. So we always talk about here uh, with our team uh, tying features to benefits in a personal way that that the person can you can turn that light on. They can see how this would benefit me in my life, and and a lot of that is that educational standpoint. When we first started with Buddy Rest, we, we uh, had a wholesale strategy. We wanted to be in pet stores across the United States. And even though we knew that we were going to be the most expensive dog bed on the shelf, we thought that you know with the innovation that we had, um, that we could really uh, change people's minds, just like dog food. We were the tip of the spear. We were just the first. Um, and what we found out, even though we did have some success, I mean, I think we were in something like uh, 500 stores uh, in the first two years. What we found out is the reorders weren't there. And when we really cracked down to it is that we realized that that part-time summer, you know, high school employee wasn't able to articulate the value of why somebody should spend the money on our product. You know, we did a great job at the trade show or over the phone talking to the store owners and maybe the store owners could could do it to some extent as well. But the reorders just weren't happening. It wasn't moving through the stores. And so what we recognized is is that – uh, our product was much better served online. And that's why Shopify is a great opportunity for, for people these days is because you can do a lot of educating to the customer up front. You can teach them a lot about the product. Now, you have to do the marketing in a really nice, crisp way where you know the product images are big um, and you can really uh, find a way to show them the product. And that's a really awesome thing. And one thing... Um, I think that's worth men- mentioning is um, I'm working on a new uh, program uh, with a European company that is uh, called ScanShop, and you can learn more about it at ScanShop.us. And what it is is a uh, piece of equipment. It's a, a, a the quality is unmatched. is a really exciting piece of equipment um, that is uh, basically can take any product, scan it, and render a 3D model completely automated. Uh, right now, the big problem with 3D models is that so they're not uh, really sustainable for most young businesses because they are expensive. You have to have a 3D modeler. You can't really scale it because, you know, if you had a whole catalog, it would cost a fortune and take forever. Well, we're taking the 3D models out of the uh, the 3D modelers out of the equation and really automating it. So uh, much how Shopify has democratized uh, the uh, website building for everyone. We're doing the same thing with 3D models. What's great about 3D models, uh, going back to that question about the educational piece, um, is that by being able to really show the product from all angles and even throw it into AR in some situations, which you can, by the way, on buddyrest.com, we have several of our products as an example, where you can drop it into AR and see how our dog bed will look in your living room. It really does bridge that gap between shopping online and shopping, uh, shopping at home, uh, or sorry, shopping online or shopping at the uh, store, uh, being able to really educate the customer up front, give them those experiences online, uh, and allow them to see the product as much as possible. And obviously write some great copy that talks about the features and the benefits in a unique way is really, I think the secret to success. Yeah. I see here that you have listed uh, these features where it's easy to clean, waterproof, temperature neutral, antibacterial. How did you learn that those are the features to to emphasize and to uh, to to put a forefront on, basically on the, the one of the first places that your customer will see your 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 products? 
Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, you know, I'm a dog person. So uh, I looked at what was important for me. Most importantly was the support. Obviously, I want my dog to be comfortable, but nobody likes doing the laundry. Uh, nobody wants a stinky, smelly dog bed they constantly have to wash. And also people are tired of, of buying stuff that's just, you know, is temporary and has to be thrown away. So we, you know, knowing all those things, what personally mattered to me, and then, um, you know, basically putting it out there and, and talking to a lot of other people and validating that, you know, these are issues that everybody wants to, you know, do away with. It doesn't take rocket science to figure out that people don't want stinky, smelly dog beds and people don't like doing laundry and people want something that lasts. And so, I mean, uh, a lot of it is just applying some common sense logic to it, but a lot of it is just being in the market myself and knowing what is important to me. Makes sense. Okay, so now you mentioned that you put the product online back in the when you first started. How are you driving potential customers to the product at, at first? Like, how were you able to get those those first early sales? You know, we spent a lot of money in CPC up front, and when I say spent a lot of money, uh, you know, the fact is, is when you are a young company, you don't have a lot of money to spend, right? And so. If you're really selling for survival, like we were in the in the early years, you know you don't have the you don't have a lot of money or time to deploy in the long term game. As far as like the SEO and building the blogs, those are all super important, and I wish that we would have focused more on them early on. But we literally were pouring money into Google AdWords um, and selling to survive. You know we needed to we needed to, to get a certain return on ad spend in order to continue to to make the cycle work. Luckily, uh, you know, we did a pretty good job with that. Um, myself, I was the one that ran those ads in the, in the early days. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out um, how to run the best ad, how to optimize it, and, uh, you know, just became a student of the game. And that's what everybody needs to do is, is you can't afford to, um, to focus on everything. Obviously, in this day and age, everybody knows as, as, at this point the kind of age-old uh, entrepreneur uh, topic of, you know, doing what you're great at and doubling down on that. I do believe in that, but it's not always that easy. You don't always have the ability to hire a freelancer. So um, you should become competent in certain areas. And if you do have the ability to be good at something, you know, like a PPC or like SEO, dive into that, um, you know, face first, really learn. There's now, now we have all of the world's information at our fingertips. You know, um, it's a, uh, it's an amazing uh, opportunity that has never been here before. So use that instead of spending Saturday afternoon watching Netflix or, you know, watching funny cat videos, you know, learn, teach yourself and become better and, you know, continue to reiterate on that. And pretty soon you'll become a master uh, or at least, you know, very serviceable that you can pour back in there. So that's what we did uh, primarily with PPC in the beginning. Over the years, we've really started to focus more on the SEO uh, social standpoints, and we've kind of built out a robust uh, system of assets and content. But in the early days, it was definitely pay-per-click. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Gaudia, you mentioned that you wish you focused on SEO early on because that, that's the kind of thing that pays off long term. So you mentioned that nowadays you do focus on that. And I believe you mentioned to us uh, in, a, in a pre-interview about how you now your, your, your main property has grown over the last, I think you said 25% every two months. Tell us more about this. Like what is your approach to content marketing and SEO to get this kind of growth? The secret is really putting out great content, you know, and, and, Putting out great content means a lot of different things. But to me, what I think it means is putting out content that's relevant to your audience that people really want to read and um, understanding how to monetize that content is super important. So for us, uh, we have uh, a staff here. We, we publish our goal is 10 to 12 blogs a week, uh, which is a lot. And that's a, it's a heavy goal. We have numerous properties now. I mean, we started with Buddy Rest and we uh, built or bought multiple different uh, brands now that allow us to have a, uh, a really good approach to the pet industry in general. But um, not just basically putting out that content, but making sure it's quality. You know, Google obviously wants to provide the most relevant search result. Uh, and so uh, you need to think about that. Don't just be keyword stuffing. Don't just be throwing random articles that nobody wants to read. 
Um, the other thing that I think is kind of scary is that, you know, nowadays AI is able to write and uh, that's only going to get better and improve more. And so I think now more than ever, we need to really focus on uh, legitima legitimizing our own content, seeking out uh, people who are high quality and experts in certain areas and really, uh, you know, building a moat against that AI disruption. Um, and so once you've done all that and you have great content and you've got great traffic, then you really need to focus on how do I take this top of the funnel traffic and get them, you know, deeper into the funnel. And so we do a lot with, uh, we do some free samples. We do um, a lot of lead magnets and we just look at how do we nurture these customers long-term? Cause we're always thinking about the lifetime value of the customer, not just trying to make that transaction today, uh, which is quite a bit different than, you know, what I was talking about when we started with buddy rest and we were selling to survive day by day. Okay. So the content marketing system that you created to put out 10 plus blog articles, we tell us more about that. Like what is the process that maybe someone out there might not have a team working on it, but maybe it's still adoptable for, for their own kind of solo entrepreneur approach to creating a system where you can churn out great content. So what is the system that you guys have for yourselves? Um, well, the first thing I would suggest would be to to get some tools to use. I mean, tools are kind of hard in the beginning because they obviously are an investment. But they're you know don't just be writing articles that you think people want to read. You know, do the keyword research. Um, you know, Moz is great. We like Simrush here. Um, you know, we do the keyword research, finding out what is uh, what are the opportunities to rank for. Uh, because you could do, you could be putting out the best content in the world, but if your domain authority is terrible and, you know, there's a major player sitting, sitting on that, that content, you're not going to, you're not going to crack that egg. So knowing where to pick your battles is super important. Um, you know, sometimes I look at things like with smaller companies, you know, you can't just fight them on the open field. We need to do a little, of, uh, you know, a little guerrilla warfare here. And, and the way we do that is you, you use those tools to find where those keyword opportunities where maybe it doesn't have the best traffic, but uh, if you can pick up 10 or 15 of those spots, you can kind of moneyball your way into really getting some decent traffic. Um, you know, finding first step, get the tools, finding the right keywords, and then focusing on building that content out around those keywords, but making sure that it's not just about the keywords, it's about great content that people want to read. Uh, second, I would say, is definitely finding out how do we, once we have that traffic, uh, going back to what I was saying earlier, what do we do with it? Because if a customer just reads a couple a couple sentences and then they, they bounce off your site, uh, they're not really a customer, right? They're just somebody that's, uh, that's on your site and gone and you'll never see them again. So how do we capture that traffic? How do we get them into a, some sort of workflow? How do we nurture them? Uh, that's really what you need to focus on. Got it. And you mentioned that that's that's what you mean by monetizing that that content, right? How do you take someone that's just coming by as a visit to your site and over time, include them in your kind of marketing funnel so that you can eventually turn them to a customer? And you mentioned lead magnets. And I, I'm assuming when you say free samples, that goes along with the, the concept of lead magnets. So tell us a little more about that. Like how do you take someone that's just kind of doing a drive-by, coming to your site, reading one blog? How do you make sure to retain them as a, as a prospective customer? Sure. I think the word around here that we use a lot is compelling. It has to be compelling. There's so much content out there these days that uh, you have to stick out in the crowd. It has to be compelling. And so the, the lead magnet would be, you know, whether it's a, um, a infographic or a, a white paper, uh, whatever it is, it has to be compelling and it has to be tailored to the, the actual page that people are on. So you know, if we have a lead magnet about uh, dealing with dogs arthritis, uh, but it's only, uh, you know, it's only been throwing up on a page that talks about, you know, what, what you should look for in your new puppy, it's really not matching that audience up. So understanding what the audience is there for is super important. Understanding the customer journey, what their intent is, what are they looking for? Um, and a lot of the time, they're not looking to buy something. So you need to not be focused on trying to sell them something all the time. You know, rather than always trying to kick down the front door with, you know, a sales message or some scarcity or some FOMO, sometimes it's better just to to walk through the, the side door and, you know, grab a plate out of the cupboard and sit down and eat dinner. Uh, it's it's a kind of a silly analogy, but really the idea is, is that you want to be that smart friend that they come to for uh, advice, not that pushy salesman. 
And uh, if you can find a way to where you can kind of join them on their journey and help them along the way with information and providing a lot of value up front, um, you know, when the time to buy something, when the time for their needs, you know, is there and they want to buy something, you're going to be the first person they turn to. And you're going to be right there sitting next to them, ready to sell them whatever they need to buy. Um, that's ultimately what we're focused on, I think, here is is trying to make compelling content that really uh, it really gets them uh, in the flow and gets them familiar with who we are and what we do. Got it. And just for anyone out there that might not be familiar, Lead Magnet is just giving them additional value like content, like a white paper, like you mentioned, in exchange for, for their email a lot of times. So do you, you mentioned that you want to have the Lead Magnet uh, customized or personalized for each blog post that they're reading to make sure that is there's, is actually congruent with the reason why they're on your page to begin with. So do you have different Lead Magnets for every single blog post or can some Lead Magnets be reused for different blog posts that are covering similar topics? Yeah, I think uh, Lead Magnets can be reused for different blog posts. Uh, you know, with the amount of content that we're putting out on a regular basis, it's difficult to to just focus on, um, you know, creating a lead magnet for every blog as well. So, I mean, there's there's some crossover where you can reuse these different things. One thing we've had a lot of success with on one of our properties is the is the free sample just pay shipping, which the shipping cost covers the cost of the sample. Um, it's a great acquisition strategy. The only thing that you need to worry about is it is great because you're capturing their email. You're, they're actually inputting a credit card in, so they are familiar with their site. They're kind of crossing over that threshold. But at the same time, um, you know, you got to be careful about people that are looking for free and encouraging discount behavior. That's something we, we want to try to avoid. Uh, in this case, though, uh, if you got the right offer, um, it's something that's been really working well for us. So you've seen like the, the free plus shipping uh, types of customers are less likely to actually become returning customers. Is that what the kind of behavior that you're, you're seeing? Um, I think that's probably typical across the board is that people mm -hmm. that are looking for free stuff uh, are going to be less likely to be a customer. But I will tell you, they're, I guarantee you they're much more likely to be a customer than someone that would just click back on the page and never come mm -hmm. back. So for us, I think that's the balance you need to look for. Got it. Okay, so now that you have their email address, whether it be through the free plus shipping or some other type of content-based lead magnet after they've come to your site, what what do you what do you email them? Like, what is that that part of the the, the marketing funnel? Like, once you have their email, what are you sending them? So you need to understand what the intent was generally when they came into the site. Were they you know were they coming through through PPC? Were they coming through uh, just a Google, organic Google search? This long tail that brought them to some informational page on a blog. And once you understand that, you can and you capture their email. You can kind of uh, segment it down from there, as far as understanding what kind of message to send to them. Generally speaking, we look to nurture the the long term value of the lead and not just try to sell them uh, all the time. One thing that I think really works good is being able to uh, provide value and saying, you know, hey, you were interested in this. Here's some other stuff you might be interested in. And then almost as an afterthought, P.S., we're running a sale today on that this product that you might be interested in for 30% off. Um, that's, a, a, I think, a nice subtle way of co combining you know, the, the both, both strategies and still being able to sell. Because as much as we want to talk about uh, delivering value and uh, not being too pushy, at the end of the day, we all want to put dollars into the register. And uh, there's there's a finesseful way to do it. It doesn't always have to be that that overhand shot. Sometimes you just need to be able to drop one right over the net. Right. So you you mentioned that you need to understand where the customer is coming from, where they are in their their buying decision. And does that, does that mean like if they've coming they're coming to you through PPC, it means they're probably more ready to buy and they're probably more likely to move on, or you can probably be more aggressive with the, the selling versus someone that's coming for more for informational purposes and then you kind of hit them with more content, more, I guess, one-sided value before you start asking for the, the sale? Absolutely. Yeah, understanding what the what the intent is of the, the customer is super important. So yeah, somebody who comes through a, somebody who comes through a uh, Google AdWords situation uh, is going to be, uh, have a much stronger buyer intent, right? So somebody who uh, is, is coming through, like, for example, Google Shopping, you can, you can be sure that those people have a much higher uh, opportunity to convert them than you know somebody that's coming through just a, a long long tail organic search. 
Uh, and you're also paying for that. So, you know, if you're paying per click, you need to understand that there is an opportunity there as well. So, yeah, having a tailored message, depending on what the intent of the customer is, is super important. Yeah. So, so what are the tools or systems that you use to help keep track of all of this to be able to segment your customers in this way? Um, we use a lot of different things. From a standpoint, obviously, there's a lot of uh, a lot of apps and stuff that you can plug into Shopify. Although I think people suffer a lot of the time when I look at other Shopify sites from you know Appitis, where you know you're looking for that next best thing that's going to change the game. So you have to be really careful because a lot of those apps will leave a lot of code on your site and slow things down, um, even after you've deleted them, uh, which is something I think it's important to know. But uh, for us. For our standpoint, Clavio is, in my opinion, the best uh, email company there is. We, with the whole Mailchimp, uh, Shopify, Fallout, we made a switch to Clavio, and we're not looking back. It's great uh, for segmenting customers. It's great at uh, scaling those relationships and uh, really being able to deliver personalized value. The problem with Clavio for a lot of companies is it's a lot more expensive. Uh, but if you're willing to make an investment and email marketing is part of uh, something that is effective for you, then I definitely think you should jump on that train because it's definitely making a big difference for us. Um, plugging Clavio or basically pairing Clavio with Privy uh, has worked really well. Privy uh, offers a lot of the same features from a standpoint of pop-ups and whatnot that Clavio does, but it's just much more robust with some of the design aspects and some of the A-B testing that's important. Um, in addition to those two channels, obviously, uh, we're big fans of a lot of the Shopify, a lot of the Shopify apps that we use are uh, the bold apps, uh, big fan of those for the, for our, uh, for our total stack. Uh, besides that, um, you know, those are the main core products that we use on a daily basis. Mm. So for when it comes to privy for these these kind of pop-ups of email capturing, what are some of the A-B tests that you guys have run and like what are the results of some certain, uh, I guess, results of some A-B tests that that seem to have really helped with increasing the conversion rate of getting those uh, email opt-ins? Sure. So um, with privy, you, you do have a lot of different options to test. And a lot of time when people think about A-B testing, they kind of typically think of like, should I do the blue button or the red button? And although that type of stuff is important, uh, a lot of it is really focused on different types of offers uh, for buyer intent. You know, does this buyer, we think it, sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes you think the buyer is coming to the site, they're going to respond to this. Uh, and if you put out a couple different op uh, offers, you can really, uh, you know, see what options they like and really optimize for that. So one thing that we've been surprised for is, is on some of the, uh, the uh, free sample, just pay shipping offers that we've done, um, you know, one of the samples that we didn't think was going to be near successful blew the other one out of the water. We would never know that unless we were able to A-B test those customers, which is the same traffic coming through the same page with two different pop-up offers coming to them. And that's what the kind of value uh, is delivered by a program like that. Mm. Now, when it comes to your, your website, what are some of the, the pages on here that you guys spend the most time working on A-B tests and optimizing? What are some of the most important pages for, for you as a business? Oh, I think the most important page uh, is definitely the landing page that comes through from paid traffic, which, you know, we're we're in the middle of working on every single one of those pages. You know, we're heading into the Black Friday season. But going back to what I mentioned earlier about Kaizen principles, we can always optimize, always improve. The landing pages are super important for us um, from the PPC stuff, I would say, first and foremost, just because you're paying for that traffic. You need to make sure that when it arrives. You know, you have a compelling message that's going to articulate the value of your product in a unique way that raises their perceived value and makes them uh, want to buy the product right then and there. Um, on a, in a, I guess, secondary would be obviously the homepage is pretty important. A lot of people like to look at that, but the landing pages on the blogs, um, being able to show uh, the blogs and also being able to sprinkle products in there in the right way, you know, the, that's super important. Um, and not just putting products in there randomly, but putting products in there and if possible, including star ratings for social proof and also uh, sale prices. If you're able to put whatever program you're using, if you're able to do strike throughs and show the sale price, I think that's super valuable, too, as far as from a, a tactical standpoint that might help someone today. And these landing pages, are they the product pages or, or something more specialized? Like, are they something other than the product pages? 
Uh, well, that depends on where the what the buyer intent is and, and the traffic that's coming in. But for a lot of, I guess what I'm referring to for the main landing pages is we have uh, we have a couple main landing pages, but one of them is going to be like the Why Buddy Rest page. Uh, is going to really articulate who we are, what we do, why they why we're different, why they should buy our product, and then it kind of takes them on the, the customer journey as far as selecting a product from there. Um, that is something that depending on you know, depending on what you're looking at, might be one or five or six different options because we're constantly trying to optimize and test that. And really, uh, that changes that quite a bit. Got it. So you drive a lot of traffic to a page that talks about the, the, like the value proposition, the features of your product? Absolutely. Yeah. So from a paid standpoint, that's where we focus most of our energy on. When we first started, I think, uh, and this is, you know, lots changed in the last seven, eight years, but when we first started, uh, we we put all the traffic to our homepage, which I think is a common uh, a common faux pas for for newbies is uh, that you think that your homepage has to do all the selling. Uh, really, I think the homepage is there for navigation, for validation. It's not necessarily the main sales page. So I would definitely recommend having a, a landing page that's really going to be uh, curated and tailored for that audience, depending on what their intentions are. So if they're coming in. Uh, looking to to buy a particular type of product, and you think that uh, based on whatever avatar or whatever uh, customer research you've done, you think that their their hot buttons are what really matters to them, or these features versus these features. You need to really emphasize those features instead of talking about everything, right? And on the other hand, you need to have a second uh, landing page that focuses on the other features because what really matters is 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 not just the features, but the features and how they tie to benefits in a unique way. And so oftentimes the salespeople, even, you know, even myself, sometimes we talk about features, 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 but really what matters is, is not features, but benefits. And what really matters is how do those things benefit the audience? Because if it's not, if it's a feature and a benefit that doesn't matter to the customer, then it's really nothing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So uh, having features and benefits that are uh, on a landing page that's specifically tailored to the audience, whether it's based on how they're coming onto the page or uh, where you're targeting them, uh, I think is super important. Mm, that makes sense. So are there lots of different variations of these Why Buddy Rest pages? Yes. So yeah, we have a, a few different variants of everything that we A-B test on a regular basis that allows uh, allows you to basically um, come in. If Are you more important? Are you more concerned about the health of your animal? Are you more concerned about a Made in the USA product? Are you more concerned... Uh, about uh, long-term durability, um, you know what really is your hot button? What are you looking for, and how do we how do we really emphasize that as the focus? I think we we do uh, mention all of the features and benefits in kind of a unique way uh, on every page, but uh, we emphasize different different things that we think the audience will find more compelling than others. Mm. Now, once they make it to this Why Buddy Rest page, what is the call to action off of that page? Is it like to a product or like what's the next step that you like them to take? Uh, well, that depends. We do a couple different things on uh, the Why Buddy Rest page. Ultimately, we want to get them into a product, but we don't want to get them into the wrong product. So, um, you know, depending on what kind of uh, what kind of challenge they have depends on where the customer journey takes them next. Because some people are going to be looking for uh, one of our more chew resistant products, you know, maybe they have a dog that's suffering from some sort of anxiety or is, you know, is, is a puppy. And so they're looking for something that's uh, going to hold up over time. Maybe it's somebody that's looking for that orthopedic bed. Maybe they have a dog that's in pain or a senior dog. And so depending on what that is, it's going to take them on a different journey as well. A lot of the time, you know, trying to find that right, uh, that right, uh, uh, that right path for them is really the key. Um, so we do a lot of different call to actions as far as, do you want to look at all the beds? Are you looking for the beds that are designed for, for, you know, extra durability and, and to resist chewing and scratching? Um, do you need more education as far as like help selecting a dog bed? Um, you know, we do have a call to action for that. And a lot of it's about having a combination of social proof, having a combination of validation, and then, uh, getting them into the category that makes the most sense. Got it. So you mentioned a, a couple of times about this, uh, this focus on constant improvement, Kaizen principles, and you mentioned how to us how important it is to adopt this mentality of done beats perfect. So is this a lesson that you had to learn the hard way? Like how, where did this mentality of done beats perfect make it into your life? 
Um, I've always been a done beats perfect kind of guy. I don't think I could probably have recited that vernacular when I was a kid, but um, I always uh, I always thought that moving fast and getting things done quickly was always the best way to accomplish it. And when I get in, when you get into entrepreneurship, perfectionism really is the enemy of accomplishment. Um, you, I've seen it a million different places. Uh, it's one of the major questions I ask in every interview. Um, people oftentimes when I ask, are you a perfectionist? They think that the, that the answer I want to hear is yes, because it means that they do great work. That's perfect. But that is, is the absolute wrong answer you can provide if you want to work in our organization, because our key, uh, our, our key competitive advantage is the fact that we can move quick and that we can get things done and that we can reiterate on it. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. Um, and as far as, you know, where did I learn that? I don't know. I think it's just ingrained in who I am. Luckily, I wasn't born a perfectionist because I, I don't know uh, where I would be if that was the case. Um, but being able to put out, a, uh, you know, put out an MVP and being able to reiterate on it is super important, I think. And um, I think those who are, are perfectionists, um, who can get away from that as quickly as possible and just really focus on execution, I think you're going to be much better served than trying to constantly work on the most polished products because you can get a lot more done by moving quick and um, breaking things. Got it. So what tip do you have for entrepreneurs that that are too much of a perfectionist and should be thinking this way more where done beats perfect? You know, the unfortunate thing is oftentimes the best product isn't the one that wins. Um, you know, we've seen it uh, a million times in our own business because now we have a lot of competition with knockoffs and cheap imitations and specifically like on Amazon, for example, um, you know, sometimes just having those, uh, those, the, the best product isn't going to be good enough. And I will tell you early on when we had the competitive advantage of, of being the only ones out there in the space, um, having a great product will cover a lot of flaws, whether that be from a standpoint of uh, logistics or being able to deliver on time. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to execute quickly, innovate quickly, and be able to keep one step ahead of the competition. If you can't do that while you're working on that perfect product uh, that may never see the light of day, you know, your competition has already taken massive amounts of market share for you. So my suggestion would be find people who aren't perfectionists around you that you can maybe delegate because I'm not so sure. I think a lot of the time it's ingrained in us. Um, find people that you can delegate to that can execute and, and let them do their thing. Don't micromanage. In our organization, we look for people who uh, we can point in a direction and tell them the what and the why and uh, maybe not exactly the how. But, you know, that hill over there, we need to take it because of this reason and, you know, go. And they figure out how to get there on their own. Um, that's the type of people that we value and that's the, that's the type of people that execute and get things done. And, um, if you are a perfectionist, I highly recommend finding some of those people and putting them around you. Oh yeah. So, you know, because you spent so many, so many years in, in e-commerce now, what do you see as the future of e-commerce or like, what are you, what are you looking forward to seeing? You know, e-commerce is a really interesting landscape right now. It's super exciting to be part of it. Obviously more people than ever feel comfortable, uh, shopping online. And we're always on the lookout for uh, opportunities and technology that will help, you know, increase conversion rate, improve customer user experience. Um, one thing I'm super excited about is 3D modeling. Uh, I think 3D modeling is going to be one of the massive uh, opportunities, especially in the next year or two. Uh, Shopify is just basically starting to scrape the tip of the iceberg. Um, one thing that we're involved in, um, I actually have a, a separate company that's a, a joint venture partnership with a company in Germany. Um, the German company is called Scam Blue, and they have a really amazing technology that is able to take any product and create a high quality 3D model of it and at scale. Um, the quality is unparalleled. The cost is, is affordable. And uh, you can really do full catalogs. And so what we're partnering with them is we have a company called uh, ScanShop. And you can actually learn more information about at ScanShop.us, um, where we have one of their uh, high-quality machines landing in the United States. It's going to be the only one of its kind. And uh, we can take products, scan it into the 3D model, and, and put that on the web. Why that's super exciting is because it's going to bridge the gap between shopping online and shopping uh, in a store 
because you were able to now see the product firsthand and you're going to be able to turn it on all its access. A lot of people have already seen the 3D models. Uh, what's really cool for us, like on BuddyRest.com on some of our products, you can even drop it into AR on your phone and see what our bed looks like in, in the living room. It helps make a buying decision. Uh, and we're excited about that because I think the conversion rates are going to go through the roof uh, when we're able to deploy these 3D models across everybody's websites. You know, it doesn't take rocket scientists uh, rocket science to know that the you know the bigger and better quality of the image that you can show articulates the better value. There's a direct correlation there for the customer to know that that image, uh, by being able to show that detail, increases the conversion rate. And so, by being able to give them this really unparalleled user experience is super exciting. Uh, why it's really solving a problem and why I want to get involved in it is because currently 3D modeling, you know, for most of it, the quality is just not there. Um, it's all really done by hand, but it requires a 3D modeler to create them. And it's really not uh, able to be accessible to, you know, most Shopify customers and Shopify audiences because they're not able to, to pay and wait for the turnaround time and pay for the high prices of these 3D modelers. So what's super exciting with this uh, partnership and with ScanShop.us is you're able to go on there and, um, you know, you can submit the product and we can follow up. You can send us a product. We're going to be um, scanning these and putting them out there at scale. So we can do full catalogs. The quality is going to be unmatched. It's going to be incredibly disruptive. And that is absolutely the technology that I think is going to make the most impact, specifically for Shopify owners over the next year or two. Um, and not only that, just e-commerce in general. Awesome. So BuddyRest.com is a website, B-U-D-D-Y-R-E-S-T.com. And I'll leave you this last question, Trevor. What needs to happen for the rest of this year or in the rest of this year for you to consider this year a success? Um, you know, we've been very blessed this year where um, success isn't measured by the last couple months of the year, although this is, you know, the golden quarter and everybody has uh, a lot of uh, a lot of high expectations. We do sell most of our products this last quarter. Uh, we outsell, you know, all the other quarters for sure. So we want to execute on our game plans. We want to make sure that we have our marketing tight. Uh, we want to make sure that we're driving those sales and moving the needle. Uh, but this year, you know, we've, we've been really fortunate to win some amazing awards. We won a world branding award. We flew to a, a palace in Vienna, Austria, and got this, this really prestigious accolade. Um, we've, impacted a lot of animals in a lot of different ways. Uh, we've got our, our other brand, Natural Doggy, uh, which is naturaldoggy.com that is uh, doing incredibly well with CBD and supplements. Uh, and what really is validating for us, and you know, when I look, when I think about success, I think about impact. What's really validating for us is not the awards and not the, uh, not the dollars that, you know, we count at the end of the day, but really the impact that we've made on the pets around the world. And, uh, when our head hits the pillow, yeah, we are a business, but we can feel really good about what we do. And so my suggestion to other people is, you know, do what you believe in, do something that feels good. Um, it's great to make money and make profit, but it's better to make a difference. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your time, Trevor. All right. Take care. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. Shopify. 